0: Another big aha moment in my journey was the first time that I ever spent time inside of a virtual environment in a full immersive VR headset with other people. Oh, and I yeah. think remembering these are communication tools and tools for media, but they're not meant to and nor should we sort of like be rushing to try and replace physical reality in any way. Welcome to the Unlearned Podcast where host Barry O'Reilly seeks to synthesize the superpowers of extraordinary individuals to think big, start small, and learn fast. Here's your host, Barry O'Reilly.
1: Welcome to the Unlearn podcast. On this show, I'm delighted to be joined by Aaron Frank. Now, I first met Aaron as faculty member at Singularity University, maybe six years ago. He's a researcher, writer, and consultant who spent a decade working in Silicon Valley. And as the writer, his articles have been peered in Vice, Wired, Forbes, and VentureBeat. He routinely advises large companies, startups, and governments on trends related to augmented and virtual reality and the use of virtual environments. He's advised people from Twitter to FC Barcelona and more. But what's most interesting about Aaron for me is he's the person who first took me into the metaverse, who showed me the capability of these digital communication tools and what they were about. So in this show, we dive into his experience sharing what he's learned about the metaverse, what it is, what it isn't, and how you can start to understand to leverage these tools in your own business. But before we go there, let's jump back to how it started for him.
0: The metaverse today, there's multiple entry points. Some people have come into the metaverse by way of sort of crypto, blockchain, Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever. So my entry point was different. So I entered the metaverse space from a background in augmented and virtual reality technology as an interface. And yeah, I can actually think of a very specific moment that was sort of the big turning point for me, because you're right to point out my background is in sort of writing, research, journalism. I've still sort of made use of those skills over the last few years. That's primarily how I do my research. But yeah, so there was a very specific moment this was back in 2013 i want to say and so you're at, you're familiar with singularity university you kind of know the culture and you know the weird personalities that are yeah, around that place yeah that's the best
1: part about it everyone's got a quirk and they know their stuff i love it you know it's brilliant
0: so i had i had the privilege of starting there quite young in my career so this was i want to say i was 22 years old just out of undergrad very new i was an entry level you know, I was on the business side. And I won't say who this individual was, because you'll know them. There was someone who was supposed to come in to give a presentation one day. And for some reason, I forget what happened. I think their car broke down. They couldn't make it in. The audience that was coming in was fairly high profile. I think it was a group of investors from Mexico, and they were wanting to learn about Singularity and so forth. And so... This person basically sent me an email and said, hey, great news for you. I'm not gonna make it in today, but here's my slide deck. I'd like for you to give the presentation. I know you've seen me give it a few times. So here, good luck, don't mess this up. You're on at 4.30, that's 27 minutes from now. Yeah, pretty much, almost like exactly that. And you have to keep in mind, I'm a 22 year old. I've (laughs) never in my life stood up in front of a room of people I think in undergrad, I had to give one public presentation in a communications class that who enjoys public speaking. It's terrifying. You know, I'm 22 and here's a room of these fancy accomplished VCs from Mexico. And when I say that this did not go well, it, I can't stress enough how this did not go well. My leg was involuntarily shaking the whole time. My voice had this quiver and I don't know. I just... I didn't know what to say. I look back on it. It must have been really awkward for the people in the room, but it kind of stung. Like I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy it to the point where I started thinking about how could I have done that better? How could that have gone differently? And around the same time, Singularity University got one of the early Oculus Rift VR headsets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first thing when I put that thing on, and that was was kind of a life-changing moment because you really get a sense of how immersive these virtual environments are when you're in an immersive headset. Wow. Like you look around. Oh, it's amazing. Unbelievable, yeah. right? Consumes your full field of vision. And the first thing I thought of was, was well, what if I had just been able to replicate that room of people staring at me from where I'm standing in front of them? And I decided to try and explore how easy it would be to build that kind of a, you know, I guess I would refer to it as a public speaking simulator. And yeah, I built a very basic version of it. I built it in Unity. I kind of replicated it. It looked very much like a TED stage, you know, being, giving a TED talk. And what was surprising when I put it on for the first time and even cartoon graphics, you know, very cartoonish aesthetic, replicated a lot of that social pressure of being on stage in front of people. And that to me, that was a really big turning point. That's when I recognized, wow, this is not toy for gaming. This yeah. is going to be a new way that people experience anything. You can replicate almost any experience. And so yeah, that was my entry point. I started writing about it. I got a few early bylines at Forbes. And then a couple years later, I got a couple articles of advice. That was really the momentum that allowed me to sort of dive into the rabbit hole of augmented virtual reality. And then, of course, today with the metaverse, these are really becoming the computing interfaces that people use to enter into these online virtual spaces. And yeah, that's kind of how it snowballed.
1: No, I love it. And, you know, for folks who are probably listening or maybe even hearing about you for the first time, believe me, Aaron is an amazing presenter. Now he like runs the floor for these executive programs at Singularity, 90 senior execs all over the world. And he's people in tears, laughing, crying, high fiving and having an amazing five days together. So that has worked for you. Whatever, whatever simulation you've been practicing, literally you've learned how to play the game
0: and play it well. So bravo, sir. Thank you. Yeah, I can't tell you how bad I was when I first started. <laughs> like it was bad. It's interesting to sort of track my own growth because you're right. I do it's funny that now, you know, I do a lot of speaking, but I was not good at it for a Yeah, well, it's fair encouragement for
1: everyone out there. I love it. Yeah. So now as you say like the metaverse is sort of one of if not hottest topics out there, even to the point where companies like Facebook renamed themselves to like Meta to try and ride this wave. You know, one of the first fun experiences Because when I saw you speak about AR and VR, I was really curious about this notion of teaching in this environment. And you introduced me to some great people that were building these platforms. And one of the first things we ever did was actually go into this virtual world and and play a game of soccer together, which was super fun for me to start again immersing myself in this world. So share a little bit for yourself as you sort of went on that journey in the early days of this, what was, as you say, VR, AR, augmented reality, as it was starting to shape. I even remember you saying to me that this was the ground floor, Barry. We're playing in this space on the ground floor. So what were some of the things that you had to unlearn personally as you sort of started to go on that journey of what you thought these worlds would be about and the reality of what they actually were?
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah.
0: You know, at Singularity, I really tried to push both the organization and, and other people like yourself who are, you're someone who is teaching and helping other business professionals understand things. And, and you're one of the only people that sort of, I think, like got it right away and, and actually made the effort to experiment with it. So I know you've been teaching in these spaces as well. Yeah, but like, again, like you said, I'm
1: curious. When something looks odd, irrational, how the hell is it going to work? I just like giving it a try. You inspired me with that when you just showed me those tools. I'm like, right, let's give it a go. That's
0: my mentality on things, I think. Yeah. I think it's actually probably worth talking about that specific platform where you and I played soccer because I think it helps articulate the sort of the development of, and again, the word metaverse is kind of a late, it's like a new label that's being slapped on top of all kinds of things. I think. It might be worth just very briefly describing my definition of the metaverse, because I think there's a lot of confusion in the way it gets talked about. So I think it's important to make a distinction between augmented and virtual reality technologies, because those terms typically refer to the kinds of interfaces that we'll be using to experience essentially what are computing interfaces. It's a way of engaging with a digital environment. Today we use mouse and keyboards to get our computers to do what we want them to do. Whereas in the future, not too far from now, it will be putting on a VR headset and using your arms to manipulate things kind of like minority report. And that will be the way that you get computers to do what you want them to do. Now the metaverse as a term is largely referring to this concept. It's a word pulled from science fiction, The press covers this well. That's, you know, it's from the book Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson. But ultimately what people are referring to when they say the metaverse is it's an evolution in life online. It's a a new type of internet. My framework to think of this is if you hear the word metaverse, you could replace the word metaverse in most cases with the word internet and the sentence should mean the same thing. So then the question is, well, then why are we using this new word? Well, the word metaverse is directionally pointing at a variety of changes coming to the internet. And so, what are those changes? Those changes are largely about an internet that's built in 3D immersive spaces where you inhabit them as an avatar, online virtual environments. If any of your listeners are familiar with Second Life, that's a really good model for what's coming. And so ultimately, these are experiences online. So that's an important distinction between. Augmented virtual reality is not necessarily the metaverse. And so the platform that you and I played soccer in, it's a platform made by a company called Verbella. They are really fascinating because they've been around for a decade. They actually just had their 10-year anniversary. Amazing. a, A rich legacy of development that's happened in the space. So Verbella was originally d- developed as a way to basically create an online virtual world to be used by universities as a kind of virtual campus space. So to sort of like visually think of this for your listeners is the platform runs. So most people don't use a VR headset. They just run the platform on a regular laptop computer. So think of it like a video game and you're, you have a, an avatar a character, a looks like a video game character that you use to walk around this online virtual space and it looks like a video game but instead of playing a video game there's buildings and classrooms and office spaces and media surfaces that you can put up google slides and there's conference seating where you can sit with your avatar and replicate what it's like to be a college student and they have a soccer field and that's where you and i yeah we soccer, spend most of our
1: time, not in class, <laughs> hanging out playing soccer.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is what you do in college. I think that's you where we, we live that reasonable, yeah, accurate lifestyle. So this platform is really fascinating to me because it's been around for so long. And so to go back to your question about a moment of unlearning, I remember the CEO of this platform, this was probably back in 2016, I want to say kept reaching out to me to pitch me an article, basically pitching me to write about their platform to say, hey, look, we're doing this cool stuff. And at the time, I had seen plenty of stuff like this. You know, I'd come yeah, across, yeah. they weren't the only one doing this. And I kept dismissing them. I kept saying, you know, yeah, it's, it's cool. I was getting pitched all the time. And I kind of ignored it. You know, I was busy. I was doing other stuff. I just didn't see anything like really noteworthy about it until what I had missed, and I kind of regret that I didn't catch it earlier, is what the CEO was trying to point out to me was that one of their clients that was using their platform wasn't a university. It was an incredibly large publicly... They actually became a publicly traded company just after... I did end up writing about this, but it's a, a large publicly traded company that had thousands of employees. They had Their market cap was a billion dollars the first day they started trading on the NASDAQ. You know, this is a serious real deal organization. And what blew my mind, and this was, I ended up writing the article, maybe it was 2017 or 2018. I forget what year it was, but it's, it's years ago, four or five years ago at this point. The CEO of this company finally broke through to me. And the thing that I had to sort of wrap my mind around is that this was... The technology looks, again, still very cartoony, looks like a yeah. video game. A bit better than Minecraft. Amazing, yeah. And that was a big um, aha moment. Like, you don't need to have this perfect, photorealistic, beautiful, high-resolution video game environment to create platforms and to create tools. And again, what these are, essentially communication tools. And we can talk about why this company uses it but consistently i've had this experience over time where i thought you needed to have where i thought you were a ways away from having something functional or useful and here's an example of a today this company still they don't operate from a single physical office still today this is 2022 they have about 70,000 like contractor employees i think their market cap now is up to about 4 billion dollars it's ironically it's a real estate brokerage so they basically, they have real estate brokers who help people sell residential homes. But if you are hired by this company, it's not just the brokers, it's the actual management of the company itself. Everybody, all of them have their offices inside this online virtual environment, where they have a soccer field, where they have meeting spaces. So yeah, this is not some science fiction future. This stuff is very much already happening now.
1: Right. And it's real. That's the thing that's most fascinating about this and one of the sort of real aha moments for me when you were sort of taking me around this world or verbella the product for the first time was just some of the little nuances that you can create in these virtual worlds that you can't actually even create or get insight to in a physical space now we ended up running an unlearn workshop in this sort of world which was super fun 25 people showed up from all over the world who didn't know in fun avatar outfits. But what I was able to do was get them to sit down at a seat. They had this functionality where you could create these micro bubbles where people could sit at a table together, but then they'd only hear the four people sitting at that table. And they'd be having these conversations. Again, some of the unique attributes, because they're in a virtual environment, you start to get insights into what conversation are they having? is there a lot of dynamic back and forth in those little bubbles? or? And you can go back and look at and listen to some of these recordings over time to understand like if you're teaching or people getting the concepts and optimize your course. And this sort of just started to blow my mind because when you're in a physical room, you can't be at every little breakout table. You can't, you get a pulse, but it's all intuition based at how people are getting on. And the sort of uniqueness of how you could shift the shape of the room instantly, shift the audio listening instantly, remix people and get analytics real time about how people are interacting with the content and with each other. My mind was just blown. I'm like, wow, this is gonna be, to your point about even your training to be a speaker using this, I do not know any other tools that could give you that high fidelity of feedback and insight, whether you're learning new skills, you know, even now as we see people starting to create training programs where people can put in stressful situations and see how they respond as a team together, be that speaking for an individual or escape room fun activity that a leadership team might do to figure out how they work together. It's amazing. It really is amazing how this stuff is as, and it's happening so quickly, faster probably than we realize. And it doesn't have to be, as you say, this sort of, ready player one experience where you have to put on the headset and you can't tell if you're in the real world or a virtual world. It can just be blocky characters. It's actually more fun if it is because it creates yeah. a bit more of this anonymity to us. Yeah. And fun and excitement. That was my big aha moment for me where I was, like, whoa, this is a totally different way that we'll be able to teach people new skills.
0: I think there's something that you just said as well that's worth really pulling out to highlight is, and I don't want to make another point about there is an element of trade-offs because we could talk about, so using a platform like this, as opposed to why not just use Zoom or traditional video conferencing. And I think it's important to sort of address that. But what you, you just mentioned this, and I think it's important to highlight, is that the way that you make use of physical space is so important when you're running some kind of, a learning event. And like you just described how in this virtual environment, at the click of a button, you can change the seating arrangement. And the reason I really enjoy using this platform to do... I've run a variety of programs through Singularity inside this platform is that you can have traditional conference lecture seating where everyone's kind of sitting in the seat and they can see your screen and you're presenting slides. And then at the click of a button, you can turn it into paired partner tables where they're sitting two people facing each other and then in another click of a button you can put you know a four person conference table and like what you just described these these microspaces so verbella the platform calls them forget what they call them but they're basically private audio spaces to be able to manipulate a physical environment where you can create private audio space where you can only hear those people and you can change the dynamics of physical infrastructure in real time as the program is unfolding, and you can make use of different kinds of engagement. And it's not unlike a Zoom environment where you can do a breakout room. But the thing is, everyone's still together when you're just like it would be in a physical space. And I think that brings us back to sort of what is the benefit? And again, it's trade-offs. I wouldn't advocate using a platform like Verbella for everything. I think it's
1: great. Yeah. It's important to highlight them. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: You know, one of the benefits you get of using an avatar based virtual environment is that it can replicate some of the social behaviors, regular human interaction that you couldn't replicate in a platform like Zoom. The fact that you have physical space, you have to physically move your avatar from place to place. You can physically pair up with a a partner and walk to some part of the room and have a private conversation. You get some of those unplanned social collisions of bumping into someone you weren't expecting to bump into. If you talk to the CEO of that big $4 billion market cap publicly traded company, one of the reasons they use this platform is is the way they describe it is, is it's their company's sort of like shared space. Yeah. It's a place. We're all familiar with this, you know, Zoom today where. And I want to be clear, Zoom is very useful and probably more effective for a far wider range of kinds of interactions. If you're on a team and you have a meeting and you have a very specific set of goals and objectives that you need to achieve in that meeting, Zoom is going to be the most efficient and effective way to do this. But if you're in, say, like a classroom environment and you have new students that don't know each other and you want to create sort of a Kind of like a house party vibe where you can wander around and bump into people and network and say hi then having physical three-dimensional space which replicates what it would be like to be in an actual real room with three-dimensional space and you can move around that's where you get something that's i think a bit better in a platform like for bella over zoom and the reason why this company uses it is because when you have to physically walk your avatar from meeting to meeting you get those unplanned sort of like water cooler interactions that, you know, anyone who's been stuck at home just jumping from Zoom meeting to Zoom meeting, when's the last time you just bumped into a coworker yeah, unplanned?
1: I can't even remember. Yeah. And yeah, like you say, but like simple things that you lose from how information moves around a company, everything like this Zoom world is so orchestrated in terms of schedule and Next meeting and next thing to cover, and but you don't get that like magic and important aspect of getting real temperature checks about how people are doing or what's going on in marketing if you work in development or vice versa or meeting new people in the company and understanding why they join. But all the great stuff that actually builds really strong culture. Yes, that, and that's why I love that you're describing these things as there are trade offs, their strengths and weaknesses to these tools yep. and. The magic in many ways is just recognizing when to use that mode to get the most effect. I think that's really important lesson for people to take away.
0: Yeah. So one of the trade-offs, like what don't you get in a virtual environment like Rubella is you don't get a good read on interpersonal.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Facial expressions. You know, just where the current technology is today. These are very crude looking game-like avatars. They're not super high fidelity. They're not going to give, you know, the full range of emotional expression. Smiles you can get. are
1: sad. So you can, like, yeah. Exactly. You're right.
0: It's like the naive reactions. Yeah. And so that's really important. And I, I don't want to come across like I'm advocating that in the future, we're all going to be immersed in these virtual game-like worlds to do everything from go to the office to <laughs> hang out with our friends. And, you know, it's like this ready player wanted world. Like it's worth remembering that, you know, I think it's really ironic that someone like Mark Zuckerberg got up and, you know, gave the press conference that he gave when they announced that they're changing their their name. And the term metaverse is pulled from a dystopian science fiction novel of a techno-capitalist Is that not
1: Mark Zuckerberg? Is that not who he is?
0: It's (laughs) It's so ironic that Silicon Valley has worked itself into almost, advocating this vision of a dystopian future. One of my favorite quotes is this writer talks about, you know, this thing that was meant to inspire horror is being run after as quickly as we can possibly get to it. And it's worth remembering that these are really valuable tools. And it's worth understanding what these are tools for. And and we can go back to like another big aha moment in my journey was the first time that I ever spent time inside of a virtual environment in a full immersive VR headset with other people. And I think remembering these are communication tools and tools for media, but they're not meant to, and nor should we sort of like be rushing to try and replace physical reality in any way.
1: It's a really great point. It's sort of in line with the question I wanted to ask you is, what are, do you think, from society, the community, the people that are following along that maybe are new to this space or have never tried a VR headset or are just trying to get their grips around what this is. You've mentioned this great example of one thing to unlearn is that we're not just trying to replicate the physical world. There's pros and cons. It's a communication tool. I think it's a really important point. What other suggestions would you have sort of things that you think people should unlearn about what the metaverse? is really about versus maybe some of the, the things they're hearing or seeing in clickbait headlines or Mark Zuckerberg getting dressed up in a skeleton outfit and telling people, come join me at Meta.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because on the one hand, you know, I'm up here for the first part of this conversation. We've been talking about how we don't need these like high resolution photorealistic experiences. But that said, one thing I've been thinking about is that a lot of the mainstream coverage of the metaverse today will put in your mind because it showcases these very clunky looking gaming worlds that these block like characters and it's worth remembering that all of these environments are built in game engines one framework that i like to think about is this was sort of taught to me by there's an entrepreneur in amsterdam ryan Gill, is running a, a company That's really interesting, basically trying to build this open, interoperable metaverse, the infrastructure to create that. But anyway, he talks a lot about this idea that one way to think of what the metaverse is, is the internet has been built by web developers. The metaverse is really being built by game developers. And this word game developers, and we're using words like game engines, it's probably worth explaining what a game engine is. But one thing I'll I'll say that I think is really important is that I think the term game here is really misleading and probably one of the biggest things to unlearn is when i say game engine or video game that will oftentimes immediately put into your mind this association of you know i'm referring to something recreational or something non-serious something kids play with like it's a toy
1: totally
0: but game engines i would say are probably one of the most important and consequential technologies of the next decade and so a game engine for those that that wouldn't be familiar with the term is basically the software tool that developers use to build on virtual environments of some kind which today is largely video games so video games of any kind are built in a software tool called a game engine a game engine is basically you could think of like imagine like a workstation where you can upload 3D assets, you can apply the physics and rules that determine how they can move inside the space. You can add music, you can add collision dynamics. Basically, you create the rules for how the video game, and I'm putting air quotes here, video game will will function. But what's starting to happen is that game engines are now starting to mediate entire industries outside of sort of traditional video games. So, examples of this, the new Hummer, the electric vehicle, the truck the onboard central dashboard which shows you information about the truck in real time it's taking all the data from the sensors around the truck what you see on your your dashboard that is being rendered now in the unreal game engine so it's game engines are being put inside cars architects are using game engines to design buildings car companies are using game engines to design cars city planners are designing cities and understanding, simulating how traffic flows and foot traffic patterns, all kinds of things. They're using game engines to simulate all of that. So game engines are starting to mediate all kinds of industries and will become a hugely consequential part of our lives. And so how do you build all of those environments for like the Hummer or for a city planner is you need a game developer. And so again, this term game I would really encourage people to unlearn the association they have with something recreational and seen as a toy because games and virtual environments are going to be hugely relevant for our personal, professional lives. Quite similar.
1: What a fabulous point, though. So my first ever startup was a mobile games development company. We built this idea of Tamagotchi. It was called Wireless Pet, where you had to keep a little pet alive on your phone by feeding it and talking to it on, on wireless application protocol. It was like the first days where phones, just after Nokia's had Snake on them, and you could connect phones to one another and interact and play and simulate and actually built a load of took Atari games and put them on phones. But one of the things I learned massively about that whole domain, gaming in itself, I think is underrepresented about how much thought goes into. Simulation, incentive design, teaching people new skills, leveling them up on their journeys to mastery. We actually did a podcast with Amy Jo Kim, who is one of the leaders in this idea of game thinking. She designed games like Rock Band or The Sims, actually. And she talks about how much real thought goes into creating these paths to mastery for the player and you think of any game you enjoy like mario level 1 you're taught how to run and how to jump and then run jump and do another skill and the experience is all about building skills just when we go back to your example of you putting on that headset after you know your first talk it was all about helping you level up your skills in these areas of practice and putting myself in a slightly simulated stressful environment to Develop these new skills. It's like a deliberate practice. And I think for me, that was the most fascinating part of working in that space because it made me think about even the future of leadership. When you see people playing World of Warcraft, you don't know if the person you're following in the army that they've created is an eight year old or 80 year old. You're yeah. <laughs> following them based on the behavior and their instincts and actions they take that you're like, this person is someone I I like the way they're operating. I'm going to go form an alliance with them in this world. And those kind of things have just were a huge sort of ahas for me about whether you're teaching teams new skills, where you're creating simulations to put people in stressful situations where they have to use uncomfortable new behavior to get breakthroughs that are relatively safe. It's a safe to fail environment. Well, you die as Mario. Okay, don't worry, I've got three more lives. I'll see if I get to the next level. So it, it encourages rapid experimentation, risk-taking, but you are at the same time, you're building these muscles. It's deliberate practice. as, And I think that is the most fascinating part for me too, as well, when this notion of game meaning like fun, play, childish. And I think if anything, it's the opposite. It's about coordination. It's about incentive design and skills development. And I think when we plug that into the quality of the, how the technology will be in five, 10 years' time, smaller technology, but higher experience, that's an exciting place to think about how we could educate and better ourselves in ways we could only imagine right
0: now. Definitely. And I think you're exactly right to sort of tease out this concept of this idea that these are safe-to-fail environments, that's massive. Like That's such a that's such a big use case for specifically virtual reality when you can put on a VR headset and you can, again, experience anything, any muscle you want to exercise in terms of gaining a new experience. You can Perform do that. Perform surgeries.
1: Learn exactly. how to deal with uh, some uh, machinery device that it's, needs to be fixed, and yet only four yep. or five people are experts in the world about how to do it. Like, it's phenomenal.
0: And that is really kind of people always say, like, what's the killer, the killer app? What's really going to turn these technologies into mainstream, mainstream use? Or if I was, if you were asking me, you know, hey, I want to go build a VR company, what should I do? Well, I wouldn't go and worry about the hardware, because there's like a million projects building the hardware, the hardware will take care of itself. Something in training and development, that's a low hanging fruit. It's a like a clearly obvious use case, there's a like an endless supply of the types of things that people are hoping to learn to get better. One of my favorite companies is a company in Denmark, based in Copenhagen, that's called Labster. They basically create science labs where they've replicated in software all kinds of difficult to learn to use equipment, gene sequencing machines and electron microscopes and pipettes. And if you're a kid in a rural part of the world that would never have access to the millions of dollars worth of equipment to learn to be a lab scientist it's not a perfect one-to-one match but it you can at least develop the skills that in my experience i had this where i was writing an article about a company that was teaching people how to play musical instruments and one of the i say musical instrument but what the one they had me learn was uh, how to use a dj controller so uh, what djs use those turntables and I've never used one of these things. I know it's got knobs and dials and it looked complicated yeah, it's as It's an
1: intimidating thing to play with the first time. Oh, absolutely. yeah.
0: It's like, it's like asking me to like fly a jumbo jet. Like I, don't, I don't know what these knobs do. But they put me in a VR headset and they showed me and it was this tutorial thing where with my own... And that was the key. I was using my own hands in the VR environment to actually turn the dials and then I could hear what would actually happen to the music. And so I spent maybe five minutes inside and they took off the headset and they walked me over to a real DJ controller. And I now knew exactly how it worked. I never never used one in my life. In five minutes in a VR environment, an app that you could download for $3, I now know how to use this expensive, fancy piece of machinery. And that's the kind of thing that there's probably an endless number of use cases for that kind of application. And that that's we're talking about gaming like you just said just you're thinking about how you design an experience to get people to basically what we're talking about is you know growing like how you grow your capacity as a person. And I think that's what you know is really exciting about these new kinds of interfaces is the ability to grow and learn new things is gonna accelerate.
1: Yeah no I love it. So looking ahead Apart from your debut in Ibita as a DJ, i will definitely
0: yeah, please either come join you in
1: Decentraland for that or maybe we'll do it in person. We'll see where you get your first gig. What are you most excited about then yourself as you look forward in the next sort of few years?
0: Yeah. I feel like I'm in a weird spot where I sort of landed my dream job, which is like the way I see my life right now and my career is I love to learn. I love learning, I love to sort of be on the cutting edge of like what's the latest thing happening in the world of technology I, I think technology in general is the thing that's like pushing humanity forward in really fascinating and interesting ways and like at least for me you know it's the most stimulating space to sort of experience this big experiment of the human species and and what our capacities are as a you know as a species and and so my job is is like I almost feel like, you know, I was given a hard hat in this dark cave with a flashlight on the front. And I was told like, hey, like go out and figure out what's up there. And all you have to do is come back and report back what you're finding. And so that's basically what I do is like I research what's happening in the world. I write about it. So you know, I write articles. I'm, I use the tool of writing as a way of teaching myself. And then if I can write something that forces me to be able to explain it very simply. And then I teach, you know, at places like Singularity University. I could see myself enjoying that process.
1: Forever, right? Yeah. When does that game end? Well, the answer is never. until never. You know, I
0: think, well, look,
1: it's amazing to have you on and share some of these stories. Great examples and just giving people a glimpse into what the future of this, these worlds look like. What's similar? What's different? And the trade-offs, I think, is a great way for people to think about these communication tools. I think it's just a really great way to frame it in people's minds. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much for sharing and encourage everybody to go check out Aaron's blogs and writing. It's phenomenal, as clearly and succinct as he was in the show today. So thank you very much for your time.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Barry.